0: Hi, I'm Richard Lang, and this is my friend Alan Rowlands, pianist and long-time fr- seeing friend, and uh, I'm going to chat with Alan about how you came to seeing and how it's affected your life. Okay. Where did it start, Alan? It was in
1: 1971, and it really came out of my intense interest in Krishnamurti, hmm. whom I'd heard talk in London in 1966, uh-huh. seemingly by accident, although it was obviously a turning point in my life because I was quite a troubled young man at that time.
0: So you were searching for something? I though.
1: certainly was, yes yeah. and I thought i had never heard such wisdom and intelligence coming from a human being hmm. in the whole of my life and I became very involved in uh, the formation of Brockwood Park School in 1969 uh, and taught piano there hmm. and was all that time deeply interested in what Krishnamurti had had to say and what he was writing and I went to every possible talk that he gave and yet at the same time it did seem especially in the years of the school that he was making the most enormous demand on people it was not only that he had this great understanding but that he was looking for a total change in human consciousness Mm. and I think everyone felt the sort of pressure and intensity and passion he put into that. He was um, in some ways a very, very intense and demanding demanding person. (laughs) And I began to feel the impossibility of really living the teaching that he was promoting. What did he really mean by the observer is the observed. You are the world. Freedom is at the first step, not the last. And various motives that would keep recurring to find the unconditioned mind, Mm. and so on. And in the Switzerland conferences in Saunen where a number of us would talk about these things, it would seem that we would get to the very edge of that and yet not actually be able to take the time. Frustrating. It was always a frustration but not really seeing I mean, one felt all the time the need to see for oneself. And another factor was that there was Yuji Krishnamurti there too. Who, if anything, even stepped up the voltage even further. So I would spend hours walking in the mountains, trying to find out who was really looking.
0: So what happened next?
1: And then a delightful person called Pamela Lightbody lent me a book. She said, Alan, this is just the book for you, but it suit your temperament, was called on having no head. Hmm. I'd never heard of the author, Douglas Harding. But I read the book. And I was delighted with it from the very first. Mm. I thought, this is saying something important, although it said it with an extraordinary light touch. In fact, his humour was, I think, one of the most wonderful things about him. And um, although I wouldn't say that I totally got the point in a vivid first-hand sense, to me it made intellectual sense, although to many people it sounds paradoxical to say one has no head. So I wrote to him and uh, he telephoned me and said he must come and see us in Acton, in Suffolk. So uh, we arranged that and he said I will meet you and I'll be at Ipswich station and I've got a white beard, you can't miss a white beard. And I remember that uh, on the day I didn't feel at all like going. I think I felt that something very important and possibly disturbing might happen and I almost didn't go mm. but I did go and when I got to the platform at Ipswich there was no white beard but there were some ladies two or th- two ladies or sometimes I say it's three because I always get confused with the three ladies in the magic flute by Mozart All right. who are agencies of a higher power you know <laughs> but I think actually it was two and I think you know who they were yeah. um, and they took me off in the car and harangued me unceasingly about seeing and how wonderful it was also with the assumption that I had already got it for myself which I hadn't so I felt very sort of um, harassed and uh, uncomfortable Mm. as if it was assumed that I saw something which in fact I didn't see. And then I met Douglas who was quite a majestic personality and I remember before long he said. I think we must put Alan in the ritual paper bag, and did so. And it scared me stiff.
0: The tube, face to nose. The, the paper
1: tube, yes. yes. And I remember that it was a bit too large, and he had his hand under my chin, keeping it closed. And I was thinking, "Oh, what is he doing to me? What is this? <laughs> is it some kind of hypnosis?" Strange man. And uh, I, I didn't get it, or at least I thought I didn't. But what happened was that when I tried to go to sleep that night, I couldn't. Because I kept having that dream in which you feel that you're falling and you wake up just in time to save yourself. Mm. It happened over and over again. Mm. And I almost felt afraid to go to sleep. Mm. Not knowing whether I'd be there Mm. when I woke up. (laughs) And in the morning, one of these ladies brought me a cup of tea and went on about it again. I thought, well really, she will not leave me alone and I'm only half awake. And we had breakfast and then fortunately somebody said, let's go for a walk. And I was so pleased to um, get out of the house because I'd felt this atmosphere somewhat oppressive. Mm. And we sat down in a group, I think there were four or five people, on the bank of the River Orwell, one of Mm. those sunny banks. It was a lovely sunny day. And this lady, who wouldn't leave me alone, started again and she said, Alan... You know, do look down at your body and see what, see whether it really has got a head. You really haven't looked up to now. And I did. I looked at this. And quite suddenly, it burst upon me that there was nothing above here. It was so clear and so vivid and so funny that I burst out laughing. And she said, there you are. You see, you've got it. And I had.
0: And I wondered. It was
1: one of the most releasing moments of my whole life, I think, yeah. because... At last, I felt that I saw a fundamental truth about myself for myself. Yes. Not under the influence of somebody, yes. not as a result of a teaching or a tradition
0: mm.
1: or anything like that. Mm. And it's been clear ever since. So,
0: how has it affected you? And this now, is,
1: Alan? now it's a that's jolly long time. That's 40 years. I ago. mean, <laughs> and when I went back to the house, uh, people were already saying, how different I was because I had been pretty shy and withdrawn and already sharing this with people who were arriving later in the day. How has it affected my life? Well first of all I'm a very visual person and there, was, there has always been quite a strong visual aspect. This is hard to describe because in a sense nothing has changed and yet there is a change. One thing I might say is that when I look around a room like this and see the objects, the chairs, the furniture, the flowers, the books, it all seems extraordinarily right. Everything is in its place. It's rather as though one were looking at a beautiful still life painting
0: mm.
1: where although what you look at is perfectly commonplace, you suddenly realise the perfection or even miraculousness of what you see.
0: And why do you think that is in terms of looking from the emptiness?
1: I don't know. You don't know? It's just something, I had noticed it a bit in my life before, when one had particularly deep philosophical discussions, Mm. often late in the night, when suddenly there'd be a sense of quietness and silence in the room and the very objects that one was looking at seemed to be speaking to one mm. in that silence. Mm. And then out of doors, on buses, in traffic, it's, it sometimes seems to me as though I'm watching a very well rehearsed play. <laughs> <laughs> the traffic is moving, it's coming and going, and the people are walking to the left and walking to the right and interacting. It's like watching a stage in action of something which has been exquisitely rehearsed right down to the last detail. It's all absolutely right as it is and you just watch it and you're watching out of this emptiness and it just takes place and there's a sense of absolute perfection. And then another aspect is that, I, I, I mean I was a scientist before I was a musician and I'm still extremely interested in progresses in in, in cosmology and uh, physics and I am fascinated by some of the television programs that come on about the origin of the universe and uh, there's been one recently called Everything and Nothing mm. and the uh, I notice that physicists and cosmologists are now increasingly talking about the infinite potential of nothingness. And people like Stephen Hawking have already said that they think that the whole thing came into being out of nothing. Although they still use the past tense. Right. They talk about the Big Bang happened 13 and a half billion years ago. And I feel that this, the seeing that we're discussing, Headless seeing, the whole manifested world is emerging constantly, all the time, out of this nothingness, mm-hmm. which is the essence of oneself. Mm-hmm. So, in a sense, there's a perpetual and ongoing Big Bang. And I feel fascinated too by the um, the sense that the fundamental factor of the universe is not matter but consciousness consciousness in the sense of awareness and that that's Is not an emergent quality coming about over eons of time through evolutionary change But the the most fundamental property of the universe From which everything else manifests
0: seeing has obviously thrilled you and inspired you and yes Touched you very deeply
1: It's true. It's become the centre of my existence. And again, language is deceptive, I mean, one says my existence or my awareness, but it's not. No. There is no personality or person um, attached, it's not coming out of a person. What there is of the person, what one sees or imagines, one might think of one third personhood, can only be viewed in the light of this fundamental awareness which is in itself entirely without characteristic or quality. In fact, this seeing is a perfect gateway into non-duality. People like Ramana Maharshi or the insights of Zen, which made sense to me the moment I understood this seeing. I mean, it's quite remarkable how one could read these things, which before seemed so hard to understand, and then they become as clear as daylight.
0: Well, thank you, Alan. Um... Thank you very much. Lovely to chat with you. Welcome.